You're listening to the Fantasy Wildcard Podcast. We have got some absolute studs, haven't we? These are these guys are truly amazing. I love the podcast. The threads are on Twitter are out of this world. So I'll pass it over to you, Ali, and we'll bring them in. Yes, I think we're in our 14 of 16, so we're going to need them to to, to power us through the the last the last few hours. So, see, without further ado, from from Bulletproof Fantasy Football, we've got Akash and we've got Ian. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Good. How are you guys? We're doing well, actually. I've um, I made this joke before, but I'll make it again. I've been to see Will Fuller's mate, so I'm going pretty strong. Um, got a little supplement from him, so we're all good. <laughs> Love that. Doing good, fellas. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is I mean, final three hours. So um we've lined up some some fantastic guests for the final three hours just to get us through. So um it's over to you guys to to help us through the remaining three hours. Um so yeah, just looking forward to it. We've got we've got the Raiders up first, but just just thanks for coming on. We're both big fans of, of your work, so um so we're pumped pumped to get you on. Um, so without without further ado, we'll, we'll begin with with the Raiders. And over to your question, Kev. Yeah, great to have you on, gents. As I mentioned in the uh, a few moments ago before you came in, just really big fans of your work and uh, the podcast you've got, the friends you do. Uh, you're both pretty hilarious guys as well. So uh, we know we're going to have a good time on this uh, on this stream. Um, but we're kicking off with the Raiders. QB spot is where we'll start, and obviously Derek Carey is a guy that's had a bump in value when they've acquired his shell buddy, Devontae Adams. Um, I actually think Derek Carr's a pretty good yardstick versus the 2021 rookies. So I just want to know where you have Derek Carr in relation to the guys like Lawrence Lansfields, Jones and Wilson. Where would you rank him compared to those guys in Dynasty? In terms of Dynasty with Derek Carr, um, he's valued like near the Kirk Cousins range. So I don't think we really have to worry too much about uh, – Fields and Wilson being like uh, other options to Derek Carr, just because I don't think they're valued all too closely. Um, but someone who is, who's valued a little bit ahead of him, like Mac Jones, um, it's kind of the same thing where you're looking at guys who are probably maybe going to put up a one point per game of rushing, which doesn't really do much for you. So you need ultra efficient seasons as a passer to reach that high QB one or even elite range which him and Mac being valued close and Mac being valued higher, I'd rather just trade back and get Carr because you're basically banking on the same thing where you need an ultra-efficient passing season and age or not the production next season with Mac in his second year and Carr obviously down the road. Um, there's going to be a lot of value implications on next year for both of them, so I'd rather take the guy who I trust more or believe more in having that ultra-efficient passing season that's Derek Carr, who we've seen do it multiple times. He just got Devontae Adams on his team, which only helps him. And they did bring in a new regime of coaches, but they have been in the last few years with Derek Carr, a high-volume passing offense, which is something that the Patriots haven't had. So I didn't mean to bring Mac Jones into this, but like looking at the same <laughs> kind of value range where you're expecting everything has to be done in the air, which isn't something you totally like. Because you need those ultra efficient seasons, which is something that Carr definitely is capable of doing next season. Yeah, Ian said it well. It's uh basically just doing it all through the air is uh, not ideal. But if I had to pick between one of them, I'd prefer to invest in players with any semblance of rushing. But um, between them, I have more confidence in Carr, even though he is a bit older. Um, with Mac Jones, he did have an efficient rookie season, but you can never – it's hard to say that um, he will become an extremely efficient passer and also doing that at a high volume, which is what you need to reach elite production because a lot of times that you have an efficient rookie season as a passer doesn't mean you're going to have an elite career as a quarterback, whereas Carr, I feel a bit – I trust him a bit more, like Ian said. And with the weapons that he has, I could see him uh, producing well, whereas Mac Jones wasn't – productive at all last year even though he was efficient because low volume no rushing just not a recipe for fantasy points even if it is good for the nfl 
It's amazing how many times Matt Jones has come up today. He's like, watch, he gets bloody everywhere, doesn't he? He's, for such a guy that's such a, a boring QB. Um, and, and as you know, Ali, he's got a lot of fans in the community as well as Matt Jones for some strange reason, some some sort of affinity towards him. I, I do, yeah. We, we, with my, my pitch report yesterday, with um, just, just exploring keep trade cut and... Um, he was going one spot above Aaron Rodgers in in the rankings, uh, which I thought was just ludicrous. So I highlighted it, um, and a load of people. I just said I can't believe that he's you know ranked ahead of Aaron Rodgers. A load of people jumped on me saying, "Well, he's got more upside." They even said he's got more upside than Trey Lance and Justin Fields, which I couldn't quite believe where they were coming from. Uh, but but yeah, I don't quite get it with Mac Jones. I think he's just a very safe quarterback too to have on your roster. That I guess you can just set and, and forget. Um, He's going to give you safe production, uh, but but Derek Carr, I know you're a big fan of, of Derek Carr, Kev. You've moved him up your dynasty rankings. Um, yeah. He finished the quarterback 13 last year. If you think Darren Waller missed a lot of time last year, Henry Ruggs then disappeared from the team. So we've we've obviously Darren Waller back now. Devontae Adams over there. I, I can see him finishing as a as a low quarterback one this year. What, what about you, Kev? I mean, I'm probably going to get heckled by these smart dudes on the on the stream today. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I play on really short windows, two-year windows, I'm thinking in my head. And um, I've moved Car above, uh, oh, God, uh, Justin Fields. I've put him above Justin Fields, which uh, I think is gross. I, I hate it. Um, Prospect-wise, I think that Fields has got so much talent, but... I just I'm very uncertain with how it's going to look for the Bears. Uh, the new regime, are there any weapons? He's in a position to to fail. Really, it's going to be the talent that pulls him through. You hope, but yeah, I, I'm pretty high on Derek Carr. Um, please start heckling. <laughs> yeah, where do you guys stand on on Derek Carr and? and um justin fields would you still have justin fields way ahead of Derek carr in dynasty are they in the no. same tier yeah oh, no not yours is way ahead. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think well, in I, terms chasing of, the upside i uh, settling yeah. for Derek carr is, is not something i'm looking to be doing but last year he was uh qb 15 out of all the quarterbacks who played at least eight games uh, he only has one quarterback one season in his entire career in points per game and that was all the way back in 2016. i know they've added new weapons and they have good volume but for Derek carr you know just really looking at his history of production he hasn't done it except once and so i think i was talking about this with someone earlier i think the best case scenario for production is like um with Stafford, where he goes to a lot better situation and was QB 11 in points per game, low QB one numbers with no rushing, I think is what you should expect. You know, Rodgers needed an obscene touchdown rate just to get top five. Same with Brady, who needed obscene touchdown rate and obscene volume. I don't think that uh, Carr is really on their level as passers, and I don't think he gets there, but that's fair. I would chase the upside with Fields. Yeah, I think. If you if they're being valued the same or even close to it, I'd rather just take Fields, even if it takes a plus from Carr, because you're also you are taking the upside shot. But in terms of floor, I don't think it's too bad because when we look at upside or realistic upside, uh, like with Derek Carr, we are looking at like Matt Stafford next season, where you have these good weapons, solid volume, and you can be pretty efficient, which is totally doable for Derek Carr. But in Justin Fields' range of outcomes, we still have guys like Kyler Murray, um, Robert Griffin III, who were really good. Obviously, RG3 is a bit of an anomaly when we're looking into future outlook. But someone like Justin Fields, like when we look deeper into things, like clean PFF pass grades, one of my favorite metrics for quarterbacks because you can actually compare quarterbacks with kind of same situations. You don't have to lump the ones that are like Burrow, who's under all this pressure, to someone like who's being protected longer, however you want to put it. And Justin Fields, in terms of clean PFF pass grade, was on par with like Justin Herbert in year one. He was second this year behind Mac Jones just by a few. But one thing that kind of startles you and startles everyone like with the Bears situation is you do see when you look at clean PFF grade versus their normal, you kind of see a large drop off for Justin Fields, which says the Bears were absolutely terrible at keeping because he was really good when he was clean. They just couldn't do it at all. But the thing is, when you do look at the fields like individual talent and you take that situation away, he was actually really good in terms of uh, the smaller metrics you look at. And then like, he was an elite prospect for me. And when you look at elite, like Konami prospects, the only guys that had a higher carry percentage last year than Justin Fields are Kyler Murray, Robert Griffin, the uh, third 
Lamar Jackson, and um, Robert Griffin III. Those are the only four higher than Justin Fields last year, so you do see kind of that huge upside. And also the thing with Carr, like when you compare the two, is maybe maybe a realistic median outcome for anyone you could say they're about the same. But even when we look at floor, like think about someone like Jalen Hurts, who wasn't close to the prospect Fields was, at least in terms of the NFL too. Even if Fields isn't good this year, you're still going to have that rushing upside that you like. Like Jalen Hurts was not good, but he rushed really high. So he has the same rushing uh, like profile that we can expect from Justin Fields. And the thing is, next year, even if Her- or, uh, Fields isn't the guy you want him to be, especially in this bad situation, if the NFL makes him a backup, that just seems unlikely given how he's a first-round pick. Uh, this is only his second season, and it's pretty clear that he's in a bad situation. So I think the floor relative to Carr isn't going to be something that falls out from under you either. That's I like that. <laughs> Didn't completely slap you down, Kev, but but maybe put put you in your place. <laughs> yeah, I think I just play it for, like I mentioned, short windows and safety. I think that Carr's got a lot safer. Um, I do actually think he's got a lot safer floor because the floor fields is he's not a start or he's benched. It's a new regime, but. Oh, it's um, definitely safer. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. It's just that when you're searching, when you're looking for you're searching for the upside, yeah, <laughs> you should look for the upside. Yeah, definitely. And with that, we'll move on to the runner back position and talk about Josh Jacobs. Uh, recently, that the Raiders have declined his fifth year option on his on his contract. So, how are you two approaching Jacobs in dynasty? Uh, finishes the RB eight in twenty twenty and RB eleven in twenty twenty one. He's always been a little bit underrated for me. Um, is is this the off season that you're looking to to move on from Josh Jacobs? I am like, because I don't think you, like going into next year with this fifth year option being declined, it's going to be a lot more uncertain. And so I think the price, the what you can fetch for him certainly declines next year. It's already declined every year since after his rookie season when he didn't become a top five running back like everyone wanted. That was always a bit out of the cards. But sometimes people have unreasonable expectations. But he's been a high RB2 in um, three straight seasons, even creeping into the low RB1 conversation once, I think. But overall, it's not difference-making production. It's very replaceable production. And so when I can ship that out um, before, I think after next year, his role diminishes, maybe he goes to a new team, um, maybe stays with the Raiders, takes in a smaller role as he gets, as he goes into another contract. But uh, Jacobs isn't the player I'm looking to roster in fantasy because I just think there's no upside. I think you can get a lot uh, cheaper running backs who offer similar production or more production, like Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Kareem Hunt for a lot cheaper. Even if they are a bit older, their situations, what their window offers is probably similar just because Jacobs' uh, contract expiring after this year puts a lot of uncertainty in the situation. Yeah, I'm kind of with a cosh there in that, I mean, Josh Jacobs, in terms of everything he looked at, was really no one, uh, not someone sexy to roster in Dynasty, especially given his uh, value the last couple of years, where he, he was valued as this RB1. And even though he finished as a high RB2, it uh, wasn't difference-making production, like Akash says. And I will say, actually, this this offseason compared to last, I actually have more Jacob shares. Well, going from like zero to one or zero to two or whatever. <laughs> but that ninth or tenth round Josh Jacobs, I don't think is a bad move per se. Because I think there's a lot of risk that's already baked into his value, like risk that Akash is talking about. But at the same time, when we look at that tenth round or ninth, there's a lot of guys with that risk. You know, Leonard Fournette. But compared to other guys there, I don't think Josh Jacobs is a bad choice given he does have a history of a workload, which is something that not a lot of running backs can say. Like even look at guys like James Conner in Pittsburgh who aren't all that efficient, but they carried a workload. We still like them when they go to a different situation because they were able to prove that. So that's something that we can say for Josh Jacobs. Another thing we could say is the offense as a whole with someone like Devontae Adams coming in definitely has realistic upside to be a better offense, which usually leads to more possessions more uh, red zone trips, which we do know, know that they like to use Josh Jacobs in the red zone. So it's it's not something like Kosh said. It's definitely with no decline or declined fifth year option. Even with the RB two season, we could definitely see the value drop. But I think given where his price is, he's not he's not bad. But it's definitely not someone you just want to go out and buy or anything like that. Yeah, eighth or ninth, I definitely feel a lot comfortable doing that. But I've seen him go fifth or sixth round most of the time. Yeah. 
and, and I mean, defences, when, when they come up against the Raiders, they're not going to be able to stack the box. They're going to have to respect Devontae Adams on the outside and try and double him. So there yeah, could man. be room for, for Josh Jacobs this season. Uh, Kev, I know you're not Jacobs' biggest fan. Um, how are you approaching him at the minute? I presume you don't have much Jacobs in Dynasty. Um, zero shares, zero cares for, for Josh Jacobs. I think <laughs> it, it's, it's just because he is valued so low, I, I don't really know. Um, there, there is the pivots, like you mentioned, like the Funettes, the, the Connors, etc. It's it's just one of those where I think his value it's lower now than it was a couple of seasons ago. Maybe you've missed your window to to, to move off him at a, a reasonable value. You might end up being you might end up being stuck with him. To be honest, um, yeah, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. I've always been low on him. I think new regime as well. We don't know how it's gonna look past game wise. He picked up a little bit more tags last season but did he do a lot with them not really he's just he's just a guy for me like don't really care about him sorry you're always a homer kev weren't you, you always team miles sanders over josh jacobs <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't you know what sanders is, isn't going to hit on the eagles so that's it's it's a shame because i like sanders i think he deserves a shot in a in a team that's gonna gonna use him then just a quick follow-up: uh, How are you guys on Zamir White? Do you do you like Zamir White landing on on the Raiders? Do you think he has a realistic shot with with possibilities of of obviously Josh Jacobs moving on next year? No. <laughs> quick answer: I like it. <laughs> I don't like Zamir White. I mean, I I wanted to look into it. Uh, I think I think I know what my findings are going to be, but I don't think we're very good at determining which uh, day three running backs are significant uh zamir white was a day three running back which obviously has a horrible hit rate uh the one thing i could say for him is that maybe at one point um there's an injury ahead of him that maybe gives you a sell window but when his price is already what is it right now like a late late second early third i don't think that you get meaningful gain value gains on top of that um and so for zamir white it wasn't a very good uh prospect and uh even with Jacobs potentially moving on, I think they would just bring in someone else or draft someone else. I don't think that Zamir White gets a shot at it and outside of injuries and him just completely taking over and uh, producing way, like out-hitting his coverage in terms of where he was as a prospect. So I'm not not big on Zamir White. Uh, something also that people warn me about is the injury history for him. I believe he had two ACL tears, which is horrible for call, for a career outlook yeah yeah i'm kind of on the same page i mean he obviously wasn't a good prospect at all i mean good prospects don't go on the day three of the nfl draft <laughs> but i think what you said is a good point and that josh jacobs doesn't have his fifth year option it's like when we're looking at like the third and fourth round of these rookie drafts and like for me aside from like some tight end shots where i think there's good tight ends but aside from the point um like the running back shots in those third, fourth round, I like to diversify because like someone like Zamir White, say you have Zamir White and you just hold them on your roster and yeah, Josh Jacobs doesn't have his fifth year option. So he's not on the team. Like just look when Brees Hall before he was a jet, it was Michael Carter. Like Michael Carter is a day three. He was a terrible prospect. He wasn't a good prospect because he went day three, but because they didn't have that guy in front of him, which like you say with Josh Jacobs is totally possible for the Raiders and maybe he does something. You're basically just diversifying and maybe grabbing a Zamir White and one or two of your leagues in the third or fourth round. And then maybe you can flip him for a second next year because Josh Jacobs isn't there. There's no one in front of him for the time being. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those things where hopefully that does happen and you can get out before the draft because we also know next year there's even more running backs that are good than this last class. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, they said. he's uh, 212. I don't think we're going to get much of him in the fourth <laughs> round, or even fourth round. Yeah, I, I've mostly seen him drop to the third round, so perhaps people are even getting more excited about him with, with the thought about possibly taking a taking a role next year. Um, but but with that, we'll move on to the wide receiver position and no doubt uh, an elite prospect here, Kev. Yeah, Devontae Adams, I mean, he was consistently uh, a consistently elite wide receiver with a future Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers. He's moved away from him to Derek Carr. Um, he's 29 years old. He's wide receiver 11 at Keep Trade Cut. So I just want to know what the pivot is from Adams, if you want him to 
remain competitive, but also pick up other assets uh, moving off of Adams? Uh, who would you trade down to and uh, what sort of deal would you look to do? I think there's a lot of pivots with Devontae Adams. Um, also, one thing that I think is kind of a more newer thing is we're seeing these wide receivers on the move in terms of getting traded, uh, moving teams a lot quicker. Because like before the Diggs and Hopkins year, before that, the uh, statistical analysis or whatever was saying like when a wide receiver switches teams they're they lose their target share they aren't targeted as heavily as they were which it was a little bit of a smaller sample size and you didn't quite have studs like Devonte adams tyreek hill hopkins digs like moving every offseason possibly debo so while there is you know proof that you could say that target shares will decline when they move to a new team i think we're also in kind of a new era where we don't 100 percent know just yet but I will say we should err on the side of caution that that is something that has been proven. And he's also a little bit older. So there's two things right there. And his value in Dynasty is really high. So when you talk about pivots, guys like Deontay Johnson get something on top. Even someone like Terry McLaurin, where you can add a lot more than you can with a Deontay Johnson or something, um, where he's a little bit younger. Peripherals are also really good. And his situation is new, just like Devontae Adams is new in a way because of the new quarterback and what's going on over there so i think there's a lot of really good pivots off of Devonte adams because well it's just we don't if you're still with rogers and you're talking about like a contender maybe i'm fine with hanging on to him just because of this historic run that he's been on but that's over he's old and we do actually have a little bit of history that says he won't earn the same targets he has been yeah i think that um when I saw that last year, that wide receivers typically decline and um, pretty much across the board statistically when moving teams, uh, it was something I accepted at face value, but I'm, I could be a bit more skeptical about it with a wide receiver like Devontae Adams because he's just so good. Um, but, the, but the situation in Las Vegas is it's fine. Probably a higher volume offense than Green Bay, but uh, with lower efficiency. Uh, going from Rodgers to Carr, um, but you should be fine. If I'm going to pivot, like Ian said, uh, Deontay Johnson second last year in expected points per game. Uh, basically, I love pivoting to Deontay Johnson there everywhere I can. I just <laughs> love Deontay Johnson, but also um, Stefan Diggs. Uh, they're valued about the same on keep trade cut. Uh, expectations going into next year. Should probably be about the same for both of them, but more confident in Diggs just because his situation's remaining the same with Josh Allen. Um, in best ball ADP, uh, I think they're fourth and fifth amongst wide receivers. So very similar expectation from redrafters. That's something to be looking at because I think uh, people talk about redraft market being ahead of dynasty market sometimes and expectations for the upcoming season. But I think that Devontae Adams with the move to Las Vegas has become someone that I'm more interested in because his price has fallen and he has such a good history of production that, you know, if I can't get one of those pivots, I'm, I'm mostly looking to hold because other than that, I don't think there's a ton of good pivots down to pick up more because DJ Moore is a good one. But then once you get into like Michael Pittman, uh, Jamison Williams, Traylon Burks, et cetera, just not as interesting to pivot down unless I'm getting a larger plus. I don't think based on keep your cut, you're getting as much of a plus. Like I would try to get an extra first or give, uh, get a first and then give a second on, with that kind of deal. I just don't think you get that done anymore just because people are a lot less certain with Devonte Adams in his new situation. I, I do like pivoting up to DK Metcalf. If that's possible because they're valued around the same. And if it just takes like a three for me to pivot to, an ultra skilled wide receiver that's down a little bit because of situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely love to do that. Like in terms of range of outcomes, we still see like Julio Jones when it comes to DK Metcalf, like he's going into his fourth season and there's still this, like he could be one of the greatest wide receivers of this decade or however you want to look at it and situation or not, I'll move off a 29 year old, even with how good he is in a new situation, even if it takes three to move up to like a DK Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, or or another pivot is uh, trading into an elite quarterback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that shout with D DK Metcalf because I don't think his value is ever going to get any lower than it is right now. And he's never going to have 
as bad a quarterback situation as he's got right now. It can only get better in time. So as soon as he gets another half-decent quarterback, his value is just going to go back up again. So absolutely yeah. love that move. Um, I want to talk about another wide receiver at, at the, the Raiders in, in Hunter Renfro. Obviously, he had incredible 2021 season, finishes the wide receiver 11. But with with Devontae Adams coming in to, to be that presumed target hog, do you think Renfro still has standalone value? What do you what could be his value for you in Dynasty? Is he someone that you're you're interested in still, or do you think that now with with Adams coming over that sort of spoils where it will sort of spoils his ceiling? Yeah, I do. I do think that takes away part of his ceiling. I've talked about this before, but his value really has fallen for someone who was just outside the top twelve wide receivers in points per game last year. He's wide receiver forty five on key trade cuts now. I think that's that's fine value, honestly, for a guy who was who has production with the two wide receivers around him. Well, uh, one wide receiver, one tight end around him being almost thirty. So it seems fine because he is a good player. But my expectations for him this upcoming season are more like a wide receiver three, uh, even if this offense is really good. You know, if this offense, maybe if it doesn't click or something, it, it is in his range of outcomes that he is maybe a wide receiver four just because the other guys probably have higher target shares than him. But the production last year was good that I'd be I'd be willing to invest in like wide receiver 45 price. That's probably around the round rounds 10, 11, 12 in a startup. That seems fine. Like You're getting him as a wide receiver uh for there yeah i mean i think his price is fine especially for someone who finished strong as he did but one thing that like we talk about is when another good receiver like for darren waller's case just because devonta adams comes in doesn't mean we should be expecting like darren waller's target share to drop off but that does change a little bit when we talk about being the third option uh in a passing offense because that, that does change a lot like guys like Rashad Bateman um it's a tough one because you see how it's hard to get them involved Tyler Boyd even like he had a good year and he's been proven kind of like a kind of like Hunter Renfro and that he's been a solid producer in terms of like target share yards per team pass attempt like those kind of things but once you're third in line it does become really hard to kind of reach that ceiling or even close to that ceiling that he was at um I think this is a PG show, so I won't call it when you get double alpha. It was a term that Akash <laughs> coined, which is what Hunter Renfro's headed for, but I think his price is fine. Yeah, I remember looking at it uh, a couple months ago, and I forget what the exact results were, but it's very hard to have three uh, receiving options above 20% target share, have the targets so condensed that you that you have that, especially when Devontae Adams can get up to a 30% target share and Darren Waller can get up to 25%. And Kev, any interest in in Renfro? Have you got any Renfro in Dynasty? I've got a little bit. I think at that price, it's it's absolutely fine. That both chaps made a great point there. I think the way I'm viewing Renfro is a little bit sort of on the same wavelength, same thought process as Devonte Smith, where they've added elite wide receivers to the offenses. They've got elite tight ends or potentially elite tight ends there. It's going to affect the wide receiver more than these tight ends. So I think Goddard and Waller, their values have stayed pretty the same on, on the sign of the elite wide receiver. But it's the it's the now secondary option wide receivers that are going to be impacted the most. I think Devontae Smith's dipped a little bit because of that. I think Renfro's going to dip as well. The, the saving grace with Devontae Smith is he's more explosive. So I think um, he's got a better chance of maintaining his value than a Renfro. But the flip again is Renfro's cost at what he is. I think he's fine to 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 be at that that price at that cost. Uh, I I would agree with you because I do think Devonte Smith is the second option. I agree with you that being Devonte Smith the second option in a Hertz offense is just as bad as a third option in Carr's offense. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I also think Devonte Smith holds his value better because he's he's younger, and I think people just hate slot receivers, and so that doesn't help Rambo <laughs> at all. <laughs> Love it. We we won't mention the Kev's chief, uh, Kev's Eagles. Sorry, um, we we could be here all night talking about those. So we'll move on to a guy that we did briefly mention in that last segment, and over to you, Kev. Yeah, Darren Waller. Just the, the fact that he's currently tight in six at keep trade cut. There's a couple of guys below him: Goddard, Schultz, Knox. Um, yeah, what what's your current stance on him? Do you think he's he's valued correctly at tight in six? Would you have any of those guys I mentioned above him? Or, or, or is he fine? Uh, 
I think that tight end six positionally sounds okay. Although after TJ Blockinson, I think it's a little disrespectful <laughs> just because we've seen Waller earn like an alpha target share and earn a lot of targets. Um, I think Waller's uh, worst season in the last three years um, beats Hawks third season by like 2.5% target share, like in a much better passing offense. So like if you have TJ Hawkinson and I'm assuming he's ahead probably because of age, but the thing with tight ends is there's no real, uh, like clear decline like we have with running backs and wide receivers where like we kind of have this age where like our right, production starts to go down because of the small sample size of tight ends and then generally actually breaking out quite a bit older we don't really so waller not even being 30 yet actually doesn't really scare me and if i can take waller at a discount just because he's 30 over someone like tj hawkinson where i feel much comfortable with darren waller who earns more targets in a better passing offense that'll likely have higher volume with a better quarterback, I'd much love to flip TJ Hawkinson down for Darren Waller. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of Waller over the last uh, couple months, uh, especially after the Adams trade, just because he's fallen so far. Gotten as low as like late six in that tight end premium startup, which feels great because the way I'm viewing tight ends is that there's a couple guys who offer really good production above replacement and then a lot of players who offer pretty replacement production. Hawkinson falls into the replacement production uh, tier. Even though he is younger, I would prefer just the the upside of Waller just because he does. Because getting uh, points above replacement at every, at every position is a must to win championships. Uh, so even if Waller is a bit older, I'm willing to take that shot. Same with uh, the Kills and Kelsey's, even though they're almost 30. So scary, but... I'm willing to take the the age just because they offer that uh, upside of significant wins above replacement just because there's so many replacement tight ends that your league mates have to start these replacement tight ends every week. And if you can beat them by maybe like six, seven points every single week in that tight end spot, that's a big advantage. I think Kosh brings up a really good point about replacement level tight end production because there's a lot of that. And a lot of people kind of see it as like, tight ends one through 12 when we know historically like tight end 12 and tight end 20 there's really nothing that's going to help you uh like that we can notice so those guys that are also in the top 12 that have like at least close enough value to darren waller like guys um just like even uh schultz commit like guys that we're also seeing in this top 12 even even fan although i think he's a little bit undervalued at this point but kind of those guys that round out the top 12 I would be willing to bet that whatever it takes to stack onto them to get Waller is very much worth it, unless you're just in a terrible situation with your roster. Because when we're talking about like value versus production, Waller has to be way up there in terms of producing above what his value says he is. Like in tight end premiums, he should not be going the fifth, sixth round because he possesses clear tight end one upside. Yeah. And I think people know this too, because on underdog ADP, which is 0.5. PPR with no tight end premium. We're seeing Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Waller, and Kittle all going within the first 44 picks, and then no tight ends going um, until the 77th pick, which is where Hawkinson goes on average. And so people know that uh, while that these guys will offer significant points above replacement, but they're overrating the mediocrity uh, of youth. So even though Hawkinson is pretty replacement production, they're they're just looking for, okay, I, this guy's, what is he, 24? I, I can get six-plus years of production out of him when I'm not thinking about it that way. I'm thinking, okay, let me – like you were saying earlier with thinking about it just a couple years at a time where I'm just looking for elite production right now, and then maybe I'll figure out my replacement option later on down the line if I need to, if Waller falls off in the next couple of years. Yeah, and it's not even out of the question that when you look at – what TJ Hawkinson six seven years till he's thirty one and Darren Waller's one that they could have the same amount of meaningful production seasons like yeah maybe you get that production for seven years but you, it, right. it's like we're and looking also at the time that, you have yeah. to wait uh, for a consecutive <laughs> year just not worth it yeah agreed um, me and Kevin a startup recently I took, managed to take Derek Kai as my quarterback two after a big quarterback run. Then I went and took Darren Waller in the, in the middle of the seventh round, which which felt pretty good to to stack him up. And I haven't got to worry about my tight end position um, anymore. So, see, as that. And with that, we'll we'll move on to the Chargers and an offense that I absolutely love. Um, we'll we'll start with Justin Herbert. 
Um, I've now moved Justin Herbert ahead of Patrick Mahomes in dynasties as my quarterback too. Are you as high as I am on Herbert? Um, and is there a way that he can take that next level and displace Josh Allen as, as the dynasty quarterback one and, and finish quarterback one overall? I don't think I'm that high on him, uh, but you seem you seem pretty high on him. Uh, Mahomes just has a better history of production. It's not like Herbert's been bad. It's just Mahomes has been doing it for longer. I'm more confident in him. I said the other day that Mahomes is the best quarterback to ever play football, and I got a lot of hate for it, even though he is <laughs> purely from a statistical perspective. Like there's no one has been as good as Patrick Mahomes through their first four years in the NFL. Yeah, I'm on the same side as Akash here. Like. I guess I could see some of the case for ranking Herbert above Mahomes, but it's just it's not beneficial, I would say, because especially when you're looking at those first couple picks, like we know they're going top three, top four in a startup. Like when you're looking at those guys, throw upside out the window because they're all pretty much same level upside. Like they could all break fantasy football. So we should look at floor a little bit and someone like Patrick Mahomes, like when we talk about Q, top five QB season. We're talking about like 24 plus points per game. And Patrick Mahomes has that in every single start, uh, every single season he started. So four years, four 24 plus points per game seasons. Like, yeah, he's lost Ty- Tyreek Hill, but we're also talking about the greatest start and the most historical start to a quarterback's career. And at least fantasy wise as well um, in my lifetime. Yeah, and as for Josh Allen, I don't think that Herbert overtakes Josh Allen simply because Josh Allen offers double the production on the ground, and mm-hmm. they're both fairly good passers. I'd expect similar passing production, but Allen will probably be over him on the ground for quite a while. I don't. I think we're pretty bad at predicting when rushing declines because we don't have a lot of high volume rushers. But Josh Allen over the last uh, couple seasons has six point six and five point six points per game on the ground, whereas Herbert has 2.6 and 3.6. It's just not the same level. You do you do bring up a good point about us not knowing when rushing uh, declines for quarterbacks because, like, right. someone like uh, – This is why like, Lamar Jackson's my QB3 over yeah, Herbert. Definitely. <laughs> and, like, someone like Cam Newton, like, I just point this out because it is pretty crazy. We know him as his prolific rusher, and his second-best rushing season in terms of rushing points per game came in his ninth or tenth season. Was that like, with New England? Yeah. Or wait, no, 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 no. I'm not 100% sure on that. It might be with New England, but I know that like 15 touchdowns on the ground or something. Yeah. His, his, uh, it was crazy. Second though. best rushing season was way later in his career. Yeah. That's crazy. Kev, Kev, you're, you're a big Herbert guy. I think he's your quarterback too, as well, in Dynasty. Um, how are you comparing him, him with Mahomes at the minute? I mean, first of all, I'll just say that, yeah, Herbert to Allen, it's not. Um, that's probably not a debate for me. I think it's, it's Josh Allen, just the fact he's been QB one the last two, two seasons. He's got that rush upside, which Herbert doesn't have. But yeah, I have got Herbert above Mahomes. And I think if you look at the starts of, to their careers, their 30, first 35 games, Mahomes is slightly ahead by points, point two points, something like that, in, in points per game. I think as well, Mahomes, he had a really nice start to his career. And you look at who was drafted with, he got to sit a season. He got full training camp pre-season. Um, then he got his full second season. Uh, he got a bit of his third and his fourth season. That that was his first 35 games over that span. Justin Herbert came in, middle of a pandemic, no pre-season, no training camp. Wasn't meant to start week two. It, it, it did because of Dr. Nick uh, from the Simpsons on the, on the Chargers <laughs> staff. Um and then he's gone through he's he's basically had his 35 games in his first two seasons. So yeah, I'm not calling him Mahomes, but he's he's pretty much equal Mahomes in his first 35 games in lots of a situation for me. So, yeah, I agree he's not as talented as a passer, but fantasy-wise, I think he deserves to be in that conversation between very close between him and Mahomes. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, and I did say how Mahomes had four 24-plus points per game seasons in his first four seasons starting. I mean, Herbert's done that in his first two. So it's not wow. – we're just we're just picking between. Yeah, we're splitting here. Yeah. Yeah. They I'm both basically have this – yeah, they have the same kind of rushing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think uh, actually in career average passing points per game, Herbert's second to Mahomes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of everyone. That's a great stat. 
That's a great stat. Um, we're, we're both... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll move on to, to the runner back position um, and another really interesting guy. So over to you, Kev. Yeah, it's just more guys that we love. Austin Eckler finished running back two uh, this season, uh, 26 year old now. And just want to know like, if you're looking to move off him to a younger running back or do you value his output versus the value? Is there a, an easy pivot you see? Uh, I would like to pivot off Austin Eckler, um, especially like when you see kind of these late career blowups, it does it kind of can scare you for a little bit. And when you look at like a little bit deeper into his profile, like the fir- the last three years, like who we knew Austin Eckler as was this 30% carry guy. That's who he was. And he was someone who caught a lot of passes. That's why we liked him. And last year it jumped to above 50% and he was still like the same guy in the air that we like him to be. So yeah, I mean, it's encouraging, but I also don't think it's totally out of the question to see like a solid step back. But again, we're looking at a guy who catches a lot of passes in a high-volume, good passing offense. So the production you're going to get, we should expect to be about the same. Because we talk about care percentage, it matters because yeah, he can help his ceiling. But it doesn't matter too much because he's not exactly the one that took the red zone work in uh, like a high number of cases. Wait, no, I have the wrong wrong sheet here. He did take a decent amount, but that's something he's not done in the last few years. Sorry to mess that up. <laughs> All good. <laughs> yeah, until this last year, he was never really used in the red zone as much, and his touchdowns absolutely skyrocketed. But I do expect him to still be productive. As for pivots, um, like some pivots, like Alvin Kamara, I'd be fine pivot- doing that pivot because you can get a good plus. There is some uncertainty with Alvin Kamara's Legal situation, which not really going to discuss because I don't know a lot of facts on it because that's not my area of expertise. But what I do know is that when he plays, he's really, really good at scoring fantasy points in a similar vein to Austin Eckler, but you can get a good plus on top of that. As well as Saquon Barkley, who I expect to bounce back and be a workhorse again, as well as a fantastic receiver. Um, I think that uh, better numbers than Austin Eckler is well within Saquon Barkley's range of outcomes, and he's he's younger uh, probably gets more in the rushing department and similar in the receiving department, even if the offense isn't as good. Probably um, just by sheer volume could score more points. Yeah, And I think in and, terms of realistic median between Eckler and Saquon, we should definitely give it to Eckler just because yeah, he's a high, he catches a lot of passes in the good high passing volume offense. But someone mm-hmm. like Saquon, when we're talking about upside, does have the higher upside. Obviously, the offense isn't yeah. the same, but he's someone who's actually proven that he can touch like 20% target shares. Like he has done that, as well as something that Eckler doesn't work. He can be the legitimate bell cow. So, yeah, the median outcome definitely would favor Eckler. But when you're looking at the plus you can get going from Eckler to Saquon, and they both have like a very solid amount of risk, especially being running backs as is, older ones. Yeah, the plus is enough to make that totally worth it. Just a just a really quick question. We'll I'll mention the the rookie Isaiah Spiller. Did you like Isaiah Spiller coming into the process? And do you think it was a good landing spot for him? I liked him before he was a fourth rounder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking to someone on Twitter about how bad fourth round is, and um, they said that well, he was really close to being a third rounder, and I wanted to check to see if that meant anything. Um, and it really didn't, I could pull up the names, <laughs> but it's just a bunch of bad players as well as, uh, Devonta Freeman, if you want to cling to that single hit, but, um, no, I don't think that, um, cause like similar to Zamir White, where there are a day three running back, the odds of them being very productive, aren't very, aren't very high and Spiller's going a lot higher than white. No, not a lot higher. It's late second versus mid second. So the value gains that you can get uh, in return probably aren't as high just because the investment costs a lot higher, but um, there's a lot of bad day three running backs who are so close to round three, but it doesn't mean much to me. And um, I'm just not viewing him in that light. So he's just another backup to me. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm realizing you said Zamir White had like what a 212 ADP or something like that. So he's yeah. in the second round as a day three guy, and he's not even the highest ADP for a day three. 
It's, no, it's yeah, kind of, it's kind of sad. Spiller going in the mid second is crazy, and I think, uh, I think um, Algier might be going in a similar. Yeah, Algier is going higher mm-hmm. too, and Damian Pierce. So people really <laughs> like bad running backs. Apparently, they did it last year with Michael Carter, and they didn't learn. <laughs> Loving this Michael Carter shade. Our coach Matt, he's well, he was a massive Michael Carter truth until. Yeah, they kind of all jumped ship after the NFL draft. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm in the same vein. Uh, Isaiah Spiller is someone who, yeah, it was is tough. fight. I mean, coming into the off season, uh, so I Mm -hmm. I track future grades with some I started doing last year, and Isaiah Spiller was an elite back along with Brees Hall last year, and basically this last season where his production profile didn't get any better going from a sophomore to junior and actually kind of took a little bit of a step back was kind of the first flag. And he was just hanging on to elite status. And then coming in, we see he doesn't perform at the combine well at all, which obviously absolutely obliterated the draft stock. So he did go from someone that I was liking to now someone that is massively overdrafted. I wouldn't touch Isaiah Spiller until like mid round three, and he's going a full round above that. Like yeah. day three running backs, no matter what profile they had coming in, just they aren't good. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, love this. It's easy to write off all of them, and you'll be right ninety percent of the time. Yeah, exactly. We better quickly move on to someone that that we do like, um, Keenan Allen. Uh, he's spent the last five seasons as a top 14 wide receiver. Um, he, he's averaging nearly 1,200 yards and, and six touchdowns. Um, so just what, what are you guys doing with him this offseason? Are, are you buying him? Are you selling him? Or are you holding him? I like Keenan Allen. Uh, like yeah. kind of same reason of Eckler, except the wide receiver gets an alpha target share in a high-volume uh, offense that's very efficient with Justin Herbert. So yeah, I like him. I, I would say the struggle is he's kind of in that category for me, sort of with like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Michael Thomas, and uh, Devontae Adams, or not Devontae Adams, I'm missing one, where they're kind of in the back half of their career but are still elite producers. Mike Evans. Mike Evans, that's the other yeah. one. So those four where you're still going to get that elite production most likely until you don't. That's kind of the thing with Keenan Allen. But the issue I have with kind of getting him on my team is that when we do look at those four guys – Keenan Allen, aside from just the last week, was the highest ranked out of all four of them and now is behind Mike Evans. But he's still a decent ways above Hopkins and Michael Thomas. When it comes to those guys, for the most part, I usually just want the cheapest guy because we're looking for producers like that who have been elite every time they've stepped the field. And age is kind of the issue, although with Thomas, there's the injury too. But when we talk about that, and the suspension for Hopkins. But when we talk about that, we're just looking for that elite perennial production where it's way cheaper because of age and Keenan Allen does fall into that. He's just not the cheapest. I probably wish I had more of him, but tough. Uh, yeah. He's um within uh, those other receivers you mentioned. Yeah. It does make sense that he could be a bit lower, but as far as amongst all wide receivers, I do like him just because you can pivot off of some other younger players who probably don't, um, produce the same like, even though they're younger i would just take uh at some point you just got to take the elite older production like trading a late first or some of these players wrapped in a late first like a like a christian watson for keenan allen to just rolling with the production i think uh i think keenan allen just had his birthday because i remember telling akash on the podcast i said when keenan <laughs> allen's birthday was coming up i said okay he's about to touch the 30 number um, and people in Dynasty, when they see that big three in front of the age, it, it's all over. And about a week after his birthday, I think we saw him fall and keep track cut, along with the rookies coming in, but he did fall. like That's right. His birthday was April 27th. And he fell, he fell a little bit. Yep. That's the, this is what the this advanced analysis that you have. <laughs> birthday analysis. <laughs> it's just what we expected Dynasty now when – you see a runner back with, when you look at his age, if he's 26, nobody wants to touch him. If he's a wide receiver and they're 30 years old, nobody wants to touch them. So um, it's because we, we know what to expect nowadays. Um, Kev, Lucky we'll talk about... So predictable. <laughs> Kev, we'll talk about uh, another wide receiver on the charges in, in, in Big Mike. Yeah, I'll just quickly, I'll just mention about Keenan Allen. Uh, wide receiver 34, keep Drake cut, that seems... 
pretty fine price to pay. Um, the other thing is a Taurus. So is mm. that good? Is that bad? We don't know. We'll have to start doing star sign analysis as well. To <laughs> another, another advanced metric as to um, pick them off my board. <laughs> I think I think part of the thing I forgot to mention with those receivers is because of that value being low and the level of production. Once you buy Keenan Allen, say you buy Keenan Allen at this price, you're basically you're holding that production till he retires. Like you're, yeah. that that is going to stay on your team because you're not going to sell him later. His price right now, you already bought because you wanted the production, knowing that this was the case. So yeah, he's he's to that point now where you probably get elite production one, maybe two more years, but he's a, he's a hold until he retires kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And that's that. another um, kind of pivot from a Devonte Adams, just getting another older guy who has seen their value fall a mm-hmm. little bit like the Evans Keenan, Michael Thomas and Hopkins, because you can get a significant addition onto that. And then you can maintain some semblance of the production, the production. I don't think it has the same ceiling or it reaches the same level. Like if I'm doing redraft rankings, I'm taking Devontae Adams over all of them. But I don't think the hit is as, as significant as the uh, additional assets you can get on top of it. You might be able yeah. to get a 23-1 on top of that. I think you should be, yeah. 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 Uh, Seems uh, bad. Would you be would I you be that. completely shocked if if Keenan Allen outproduced Devontae Adams this year, first year in, in the new offense? Not I, I wouldn't be completely Not shocked. shocked. No, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So, we all agree on something. Come on. Cool. Uh, <laughs> the only thing we agree on is that nothing is ever certain. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep it wide receiver. Big Mike Williams. Um, he had his mini breakout this last season. Um, he's uh, finishing as wide receiver, uh, as a wide receiver one, wide receiver 12 overall. Just want to know what your expectations would be over the next three years tied to her, but what's a, a realistic sort of, uh, outcome over the next three years. Do you think he's a wide receiver two now? Is he a bit lower? Um, take it away. Yeah, he has a pretty wide range of outcomes, and I think because like, we saw this last year of production, but the last year of production should just only update what you thought before. You shouldn't completely abandon your priors. And we we talked about Mike Williams on the podcast, and we labeled it as something like Bayesian thinking, where you just update what you think. And so Mike Williams has four years of not being fantasy relevant and then has fantasy relevant season in its fifth season. Not to say that like it's not that he is a locked and loaded wide receiver one now or wide receiver two now. He was 14th in points per game. And this is his first time ever being um, top 36. So it's definitely possible that he goes back to being a wide receiver three or worse just because of that's what he's been his entire career. But it is definitely possible that um, – this sticks around, um, this role sticks around. Because I do think there's a role change. His ADA went down and his expected points per game went up quite a bit. From, I think his average before that was around 10 expected points per game um, uh, every year before that. And then this last year was 14. So that's a big it's a big jump. You know, it's, it definitely matters. That's, not, that's something that also comes with the offense um, being really high volume this last year. And I don't expect... Herbert to suddenly become a low volume quarterback, but they definitely had a really high uh, high octane offense last year. Yeah, I mean Mike Williams was definitely boosted by the situation. It's one of the best fantasy situations for any receiver slash receiving running back to be in. Well, actually, yeah. really any player you want any player in a good offense. But um, to the to the point that you were saying, um, like Mike Williams, his A dot did a complete bell curve from his rookie year. Uh, it was his lowest in the same exact A dot that he had his rookie year. I believe it was 12, which is right on kind of the cusp we're looking for because the thing with Mike Williams was that he's like Henry Ruggs, for example, where they had that super high A dot that makes it really hard to get um, a lot of targets because you're working so far down the field. Um, which is something that we saw when Mike Williams at the beginning of the season, his A dot was down his like first three, four games. I think all of them were below 12 or around that, which is something that wasn't true for Mike Williams in the past. So there started this, and in, in response, his target share went up along with his A dot dropping, which does make sense. Once you work closer to the line of scrimmage, you're not some predominantly deep threat, you're likely to earn more targets. So that does make sense. Um, the part that scared me is basically after that, and I was kind of getting on board that we might be seeing a role change, which is exactly what we need for Mike Williams is that we did see it climb back up as the season went on. But what we care about is a 16 game sample where it was his lowest. So I think there's definitely some hope in a really good offense 
or he's proven that he can be productive. So I do think there's hope, but I just feel. Mm, yeah, I want to be. I want to be the guy that's just like Mike Williams, the one-hit wonder. Sell him now, but objectively, it is certainly possible that he repeats. Yeah, it, it was. It was a bit of a, an early star of my, my Scott Fishbowl team last year. I took Mike Williams really quite late on, and and he just hit the, the first half of the season. He was he was fantastic. So I got some love for for, for Big Mike anyway. I had this tweet back in September where I was dogging all the Mike Williams truthers who were expecting a fifth-year breakout. I'm like, why are you expecting a fifth-year breakout? This is like, why is he, I think I said like, um, so Hunter Henry left. He had a 16% target share. Mike Williams had a 16% target share last year. So now Mike Williams have a 32% target share because that's how math works. And then I commented under that, why is LaVisca Chenault going ahead, going behind Mike Williams in underdog drafts? I think I just barely missed on that one. Oh, I love it. Um, we'll we'll finish up at the tight end position, and we'll we'll briefly mention Gerald Everett. Um, we've seen flashes from Gerald Everett in the past, but he's never properly broke out. Um, at this point, should we just not expect too much from Gerald Everett? And is he someone that you're interested in now that now he's tied to to Justin Herbert as a quarterback? Uh, I'll be the first to say, it. yeah, I am. Uh, he's free too. So, yeah. but what one thing uh, that. I've kind of theorized and I've talked with Kosh a decent amount is when we, when we're taking like tight end shots. So we know the first few tight ends are really the only meaningful production guys you're going to get for the most part in terms of like trusting their production and their production profiles and all that stuff. But we do get a lot of like breakout random one year tight ends, but a lot of those things that those tight ends have in common is being attached to a really good offense or a really good quarterback. So like when you see Robert Tunyon, like, completely supported by this crazy high TD share or uh, yeah, TD share because of Aaron Rodgers. He's a part of a really efficient, good offense who predominantly made his points through touchdowns. Then we have guys like Dawson Knox, another guy compared to his production compared to his target share was pretty impressive because of all those touchdowns he was getting in a high volume, really efficient <laughs> offense. So guys this year that are like free, that I'm actually really liking to take the shot at is like Gerald Everett, because again, you're attached to that Herbert offense and he's free and he's a tight end when we know there's really none that have meaning pro production. Another guy like Cameron Bray, like going to be a part of the Brady offense and maybe there's no Gronk there either. Like those are the kind of the late round tight end guys, like ever being one of them that I'm liking taking that shot at. Yeah. I think my extent to um, Gerald Everett is my analysis is, Shit, man, he's got Herbert maybe catches a touchdown in his bye week. I don't know. That's about it. That's sort of the only reason I'm looking at him. Maybe That's catch a touchdown if I need him to. Yeah. Kev, Kev, you, you you've always been quite a Gerald Everett fan in the past. Are you are you loving his lander spot now or is it just too late for, for you with Gerald Everett? Yeah, what a nightmare. It was my tight end sleeper, I think, last season, but that that went uh, terrifically bad. But um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's a great offense to be tied to. It's a um, it's a cheap way of getting exposure to a, a great offense. But yeah, my my expect expectations aren't too high. If I've got him on a roster, I'm going to keep him and just see if he can gain a bit of value and I can pivot off. I don't think he's ever going to be top six tight end. So um, with with that respect, he's never going to be a guy I'm looking to start every week. Yeah, honestly, he's probably the fourth option behind Eckler, but it's okay because maybe he catches a touchdown. Every now and then, yeah, we we love it. We, I love the Chargers' offense. I, if I wasn't a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, I'd love to pivot and be a LA Chargers fan because it's just such a fun team to watch. Um, but but yeah, that that takes us to the end of the show. Um, so thank you for for coming on. You've been fantastic guests. We're we're both big fans of, of your work, Ian. That is a amazing background you've got there. Um, it's. It's just turned midnight in the UK, so it's pitch black here, <laughs> and you're sitting in the in the sunshine with clear blue skies. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, thank you very um, much. Thank you so much for having us on. It was a ton of fun. So, do you guys just want to plug where people can find you and anything that you're up to right now? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, yzr underscore fantasy. Um, I don't do anything there except post random stuff i find in my spreadsheet so if you like that come drop a follow and yeah. then you can find me on twitter at dynasty underscore i am uh you can find both of us in the bulletproof patreon um i know kev's in there i uh, mm-hmm. see him a good amount and uh 
Yeah, we're both in my own Patreon too, so feel free to yeah. come by anytime. Yeah, go sub to Ian's Patreon because it's really good. Uh, yes. Yeah, do it. Um, cheers for coming on, guys. Absolutely loved having you on. You've got us through this late hour, so so thanks once again. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. When you have the wild card, you have the power to change the game.